does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Indianapolis Colts football is on the air. Welcome, everybody, to Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, the home of the Panthers and the site of Week 9 between the Indianapolis Colts and the Carolina Panthers. Minshew goes out of the gun. Moelle cocks the tight end to left. Two receivers go to the right side. One goes left. Minshew looking to set up the screen. Caught by Jonathan Taylor at the 10-yard line. He's at the 5, twirling his way close to the goal line. No signal yet. There it is. Touchdown for the Colts. Jonathan Taylor, a 10-yard screen pass to Pater. Bryce Young goes out of the gun, has a running back to his right. That's Chuba Hubbard. Now Adam Thielen, the former Viking, in motion from right to left. Young in the pocket. Throws it upfield, picked off by the Colts in the near sideline. 35, direct at 25. Kenny Moore racing for the end zone. 10, 5, touchdown, I-N-D-Y. And that's a 49-yard interception for a touchdown, a pick six by Kenny Moore. Bryce Young just threw his first interception at home this season, his fifth on the season. This time he goes down. Dioa Dangbo gets the third sack of the first half for the Colts, tripping up. Bryce Young back to the 18-yard line and a loss of seven play action. Bryce Young throws it left side, and it's picked off by the Colts. They're running the other way with it. It's Kenny Moore again. He's at the 30, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown! Two of them today. A pick six by Kenny Moore. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Number 23, have a day. It's 26 to 10. Final score on the Ruoff Mortgage scoreboard. It'll be the Colts, 27 And the Panthers, 13. Oh, happy Victory Monday over here. Brian No in for Jake. Jimmy Cook with you here. And the Colts get it done by two touchdowns, huh? A couple of pick sixes by Kenny Moore. Shutting down Adam Thielen, who's had a great season thus far for the Panthers. Just not yesterday, as he takes two interceptions to the house. And the Colts win comfortably, Jimmy. Craziness over there in Charlotte, huh? You tip the cap all the way around to West 56th Street because going in to that game, we talked about how you look at matchups on the schedule. This is a game that you were supposed to win. You were clearly better than the Carolina Panthers in a lot of different areas. Did not necessarily confidence, but did the outlook waver a bit when Zaire Franklin gets declared inactive for that game? A little bit because he's been such a key piece to this defense throughout the year. But you have Shaq Leonard step up. You have DeForest Buckner, who I was talking with some Colts fans prior to the game about, like, hey, where's this pass rush at? Like, they need to be able to get home. Nobody's really there this season to help Buckner. Well, it didn't matter against Carolina. Like, yes, they did get help on the outside at times, but Buckner was able to be a game wrecker. He records a sack there, and you highlighted it out of the gate. Kenny Moore gets that game ball. I mean, we've talked all year about how awful that secondary has been at times, and he's the only one worth anything in that secondary, and he takes two pick sixes to the house in what was a very convincing win for the Colts. Again, we mentioned going into the year, the schedule is easier than most around the league. You need to take care of your business when it is asked of you, and they did so in convincing fashion yesterday. Yeah, I'm just looking at Adam Thielen, and we highlighted this before the game where he was 7th in the league in catches, 12th in receiving yardage, and if you just look at his games, just game by game, to further illustrate how great of a job Kenny Moore did, who's known as one of the top 
slot corners in the game. But you look at Adam Thielen. So these are what? Let's see. Two, four. These are the five games heading into yesterday's game against the Colts. What Adam Thielen had done. 11 catches for 145 yards and a touchdown against the Seahawks. Seven catches for 76 yards against the Vikings. He goes for 11-107 and a touchdown against the Lions. 11-115 and a touchdown against my Dolphins. Eight and 72 against the Texans. Then he only has five catches for 29 yards. And there was a late catch in what was like prevent defense time. <laughs> right? So sensational job by Kenny Moore. Not just with the pick sixes, but shutting down Adam Thielen, who was like a top 10 guy statistically this season. We mentioned with the Carolina roster, there's not a ton of weapons, especially in that passing game that scare you. DJ Chark has never really been the same guy that he was for a brief window in Jacksonville. And in his defense, he struggled with injuries this year. And yes, he did catch a touchdown pass yesterday. But yeah, we highlighted Adam Thielen as the main guy to watch out for in their passing attack. And they were able to, despite all the question marks with that secondary, limit him to one of his worst games of the year. So, so that deserves some credit. I'm still going to pass criticism when it is applicable to Chris Ballard, but I've tipped the cap to him for this specific move a couple of different times this year because I was one of the ones that ridiculed it a bit because of the optics of what they paid. Matt Gay was worth every penny for this team because a year ago when the offense stalled at times, you had no real confidence or reliability that you were going to be able to still get three points out of a drive. And Matt Gay at this point... We're at a fair enough sample size in the season. He has definitely enough sample size in his career for what he can do. Was a key acquisition, a position they needed to address this offseason. They did. At the time that I think they overpaid, yeah, but but he's worth every penny at times this season, and he especially was so yesterday against Carolina. And I love the hit during special teams. Where he, <laughs> he wasn't afraid to stick his no, nose in there. No, he wasn't. A little forearm shiver to the ball carrier. That was beautiful. But yeah, man, I'll tell you what. It's pretty when a kicker, especially on a longer kick, it is just straight and unwavering. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's literally just straight up, straight through the uprights. And Matt Gay has done that a handful of times, more than a handful this year. And you saw that yesterday against the Panthers. So uh, I like how you set that up. And I like how you, you know, set the record straight. Like, I will hammer this guy. Just don't. (laughs) I will uh, criticize Chris Ballard when it's uh, deserved. But not everything has been a catastrophe. Uh, unlike some Colts, uh, what they would lead you to believe <laughs> as far as all that goes. It, it's not all doom and gloom, but yeah, if I'm going to criticize, I'm also going to tip the cap where it's deserving. And yeah, you mentioned it. He's six for seven on 50 plus yard attempts this year. Only miss was the Miles Garrett, just game breaker activated block. Uh, yeah. he, he's, he's been sensational and it was a position they had to address. They did address it. Now if they could just take that same philosophy and address it in other areas, it's probably going to be a good off season. Man, yeah. I wonder if uh, I wonder which uh, irks players more. Is it the quarterback who throws a perfect pass that's just batted up in the air because of his butterfingers wide receiver that results in a pick, right? And it's not reflected in the stats right there. We just lose it in the shuffle. Or is it the kicker where the the right guard just gets bowled over and? <laughs> 
he rushes in there to block a kick. Because again, man, we're just looking at stats are black and white. You don't know the uh, the reasons for some of them. It gets lost in the shuffle over time. That becomes a situational conversation for me. But on surface, I'm going to go with the quarterback because yeah. those interceptions get wildly lost in the shuffle. And sometimes it's not on the quarterback, but the stat right. is what the stat is. And unless you're studying it or looking at all the picks that happen in a given season, you look, it's like, oh man, he threw double-digit picks. Well, five of them hit his receivers right in the hands and they didn't catch it. So I'm going to go quarterback there, but both equally frustrating, I would agree. Weird game for the Colts' offense, to put it mildly. They don't even gain 200 yards, Jimmy, against the Panthers. Yeah. And this was wild, too. You look at Jonathan Taylor who even Frank Reich, if you listen to the comments, he expected Jonathan Taylor to have a day, or at least it'd be a real challenge for the Panthers to limit his effectiveness. Listen to at the beginning of the third quarter. This is Melanie Collins. She's a CBS sideline reporter. Listen to what she had to say about a conversation she had with Frank Reich. Frank Reich told us this week the goal was to hold Jonathan Taylor under 100 yards on the day, and he had 41 in that first half. So Reich told me he's pleased with his run defense against that Colts rushing attack. Yeah, the the coach is like, if we hold him under triple digits, (laughs) it's a good day. (laughs) Just hold him under 100. They hold Jonathan Taylor to 47 yards rushing, 2.6 per rush, right? 2.6 yards per rush. Man, and, and look, at halftime, like Melanie said, 41 yards, you're like, oh, okay, that's a decent job by Carolina. What was it, seven carries for six yards in the second yeah. half? And this isn't just a Jonathan Taylor thing. This is not like he was running to darkness and he just ran the wrong way. There was nowhere to run. There were no holes, Jimmy. That offensive line did nothing in the second half, but yet the Colts win by two touchdowns in a game they don't even reach 200 yards of total offense. Look, some days it's your defense that's carrying the day for you, right? Like you take away those Kenny Moore pick sixes and that's probably a down-to-the-wire ball game, but you take credit where credit is due. I mean, those are two sensational plays by the veteran. In terms of the offense – It's concerning. Jonathan Taylor at the height of his powers, and I don't think we're past that point yet, but we're talking a season or two ago, was averaging near like five yards a carry. And the last couple of games, they've been vamping up the workload. You see a more Jonathan Taylor heavy carry distribution this week, but it's still only 2.6 yards per on 18 carries, a long of 13. I I do think it's a matter of time. And I was pleased to see that the snap count distribution once again increased towards Jonathan Taylor's favor, up about 13% from week eight to week nine. We're talking, though, the difference of just two snaps with what game script called for. But yeah, that that is a frustrating aspect of it that needs to be monitored moving forward because we have given praise at times for the Colts offensive line with the injuries they've had, but still able to succeed in pass protection situations. Opening up holes not present against Carolina And another winnable game against New England this coming weekend in Frankfurt Mm. makes you really need to evaluate, A, is it another increase towards Jonathan Taylor? And B, are those holes eventually going to make themselves appear? Or is this just a weakness in the O-line this season? The Colts are just goofy offensively. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I, I can't help but go back just two weeks prior against Cleveland. 
You saw what Cleveland did yesterday against Clayton Toon making his first NFL start. The Arizona Cardinals could do nothing offensively. We weren't expecting major fireworks. They did nothing. (laughs) And you look at the Colts, they gain over 450 yards against the Browns. They scored 38 points and still had four turnovers. Jimmy, that is hard to do. <laughs> How do you score 38 points and gain over 450 yards against that defense? And then against Carolina, their rush defense has been brutal. And the Colts with a healthy lead, they can't run it. They couldn't run it in the entire second half, not just you know the final five minutes when they knew you were just going to run, 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 try to run the clock out. They couldn't run it at all. It, it's hard to put your, your finger on what's exactly going on with the offense, but it's just Jekyll and Hyde. That's what it is. And you got to hope as well, and Eddie and I talked about this before we went on the air today, but Josh Downs a little bit on the injury report going into the game against Carolina and then obviously leaves with a knee injury. That's a massive loss for this offense if it winds up being any missed time. There's no indication that it's going to be other than he left with a knee injury. But if you're evaluating the injury report this week as a Colts fan, and you know it's certainly happening on West 56, that's a piece that you can't afford to lose. Like, yes, there were a couple of nice catches by Isaiah McKenzie, but Josh Downs, outside of Michael Pittman Jr., who is expected to be your de facto wide receiver one, I mean, he definitely is by name, and and he's the best pass-catching option on this team, Josh Downs has been a close second as a rookie this year. And much like with Juju Brents defensively, you hate to say that a particular part of your game plan can get impacted so much by one player, particularly a rookie. But that is where things could be for the Colts if Josh Downs has to miss any time. Again, we'll monitor the injury report all week because of the fact there's nowhere to offset that at this point with what they want to do offensively if they're not able to create proper running lanes for Jonathan Taylor. The biggest concern of all of it, Brian, is the workload is increasing for JT. Like, would I, Do I wish it was happening at a slightly more aggressive rate? Yes, but you can only fault Shane Steichen so much if the opportunities to run the ball effectively are not there because you're losing the battle in the trenches. I will yeah. say, too, we have to remember when Jonathan Taylor was activated off the pup list, Jimmy, is that Steichen did say and it was reported that it would be a month-long ramp-up period. And yesterday marked the yep. fourth week in that month-long ramp-up period. So He's been true to his word. Yep. He has been true to his word. I, I cannot fault him on that. And it has increased week by week by week. But to Brian's point, my bigger worry is if it gets to full slate where he is a workhorse back again or close to it this season, if they decide to go that route, can you trust the running lanes to be found? Because JT, yes, he can still create magic and he can still find areas to attack a defense, but life becomes a lot easier in the NFL if you can trust your guys up front. And I'm not saying there's full doubt there, but it was definitely head-scratching against a Carolina defense that probably, and not even probably because of Frank Reich's comments, they were worried about you. They definitely prepared for you and minimized you for the most part to that game. Six carries and a half even with him not having a training camp or anything to get ramped up, is very head-scratching for me. Yeah. It, it's just strange to me because it's they had success in the first half. Like, JT, he got off to a decent start, had five carries for 24 yards. You know, you take five yards a carry all day. <laughs> That's really good. And they're playing Smash Mouth in the first half. And it's not like Minshew was doing really well in the first half and that was opening up. The running game, you know, it's not like the Panthers just clamped down because Minshew, like, started to slow down in the second half. It just, 
The Panthers were – they seemed – maybe that was part of it. The Panthers on these long, sustained offensive drives. Like, maybe the Panthers were just fresh in the second half. That could have had a lot to do with it also. But it's just weird. It's weird how the Colts had success at the beginning of the, the game. It's not like the Panthers were gassed in the first quarter or anything, you know. But in the second half, they, they just could not run the ball. At all against Carolina, who was freaking brutal. Again, I I can't underline this more. Awful against the run heading into that game. So that's it's just a head scratcher, man. And you'll see it maybe next week against the Patriots. Wouldn't shock me at all if Jonathan Taylor has a couple of big runs and a big day. And it's just weird how there's a lack of consistency. That's all it is. For me, with the Carolina matchup, especially, when you look at the drives they had, you mentioned those long sustained drives. They all ended with either turnovers or the Kenny Moore pick sixes that happened. And it's one of those games where it felt like even though the Colts had the two score advantage and had it in pocket after the second Kenny Moore pick six, the Panthers were still able to drive down the field at times and threaten to the point where how long or how much, Can you ask the Colts offense without those Kenny Moore picks? And again, it's a victory Monday. This is all a A, W for the Colts. You're one game below 500 now. You've been really impressive on the road this season at 3-1 on the year. And I mean... I'm not going to be, I am not going to wear the Debbie Downer hat, uh, Mm -hmm. though if you wanted to look at the playoff picture and do some math for me there, but (laughs) you you win another game, you keep the season alive, and now you have an opportunity to get into the bye week right at 500 if you take care of business against the Patriots in Germany, but you need to figure out where the real areas for success are for this team offensively, and you know it starts with a balanced attack. The problem is, if the answers are not there up in the trenches. I don't see where they're fully going to be able to get next level on the creativity if you're relying on Gardner Minshew and potentially if Josh Downs has to miss some time. Again, there's been no report that that's going to be the case, but he did leave the game with a knee injury. That's something to monitor this week for certain. Yeah, man, it's not about being negative or overly critical or anything like that. All I'm doing is trying to figure them out. <laughs> like that's really what it is. I'm trying to figure them out, yeah. and they keep you guessing. It's like some murder thriller mystery movie, <laughs> and you're like, ah, I was thinking it was like that guy John, but I don't think it's John anymore. It could be Michelle. There's something. No, it's not her. Like that's how I feel yeah. about their offense specifically and the team in general. But look, man, shout out to the defense. When you hold Bryce Young and the Panthers in the first half to eight passing yards. That's sensational. When you have two pick sixes and three interceptions on the day, they won with defense. There's no doubt about that in yesterday's game. So tip your cap to the defense, and I'm not going to just overlook or gloss over that, but I can't help but look at the the bright, shiny object where I'm like, what is that? That's the offense. (laughs) From one game to the next, they could be all world, and you're like, whoa, look at Minshew just carving up the Browns. They're one of the best pass defenses in football. (laughs) And the next thing, it's like, oh, the Panthers can't stop the run at all. And they're just shutting the Colts down. I'm like, how? How does this happen? But they just keep you guessing, man. I will say some other positives, and this isn't a massive positive given the struggles, and it would almost be certain they were going to improve in that regard. In terms of the offense, 
did not turn the ball over yesterday. The only real turnover that you had was the Isaiah McKenzie muff punt, which I think a lot of people, as you watch that replay, it's understandable how it happened. He was trying to get a full burst of speed and make an opportunity happen for his offense, and his momentum carries him, and the ball ricochets off his chest. But then the defense responds, and you force Carolina to punt after that. So it very much was a day entrenched with defense, but even though the offense still isn't flashy, still isn't full level of I can count on them week in and week out, they did take care of the football against Carolina, and that's part of the reason why winning the turnover battle and, of course, getting pick sixes out of both of them made things a heck of a lot easier on that defense down the stretch against Bryce Young. Man, and uh, <laughs> I, I just thought of uh, Shaq Leonard. It just popped into my head, Jimmy, because um, I thought he was he was just yelling at the top of his lungs coming off the field. And initially, I thought he was fired up because they stuffed Chuba Hubbard on second and short. And I just hear these... Like these yells in the background, the commentators are talking and the game, they're showing whatever, but not Shaq Leonard for a little bit. And I'm just hearing in the background, like, ah, yeah, just these <laughs> words that are being yelled. And then Shaq Leonard is on the sideline. So he was either fired up about stuffing Chuba uh, 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 Hubbard or he's just ticked off about having to come off the field ever. And I get that because he's on a pitch count. And he's ramping up, he's getting more and more snaps, and he's getting close to, you know, being on the field as much as he wants to be. But I I think it might have been that. He was just aching from coming off the field. I might have been similar with uh, my prop bets that were all hinging on (laughs) Jonathan Taylor hitting his rushing total over, which did not happen which might have something to do with my focus on the offense right now. But, uh, yeah, that that caught my attention with Shaq Leonard. And, look, man, any great competitor, they want to be on the field as much as humanly possible. So that's a, that's a tough thing to deal with. But he's making his presence felt when he is on the field. You're going to ramp up as the schedule plays out these next couple of weeks after the bye in terms of more weapons – at play. Like, I don't know if I'd necessarily put that category on the Patriots, but you know what the Bucks have as a wide receiving core. I get it that they are up and down as well as a team, and they lose in heartbreaking fashion to Houston yesterday, but that's going to be a tougher matchup. You'll face off against Derrick Henry and see where the Colts are defensively at that point. Likely Will Levis. I, I don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback <laughs> yet. We've made that joke already. We'll follow the Titans report as things happen this week. And then the Bengals. And if the Colts Let's just put this out there. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if they happen to turn this into a hot streak where they capture the next four in a row, and I think that would be a big achievement for where this team is, then you get your next big measuring stick game of where you are. Not just as a defense with a lot of holes on it, but also against a top defense in Cincinnati on the road. So that's kind of where your map is right now. You have teams that you're either equal to or, or probably maybe a little better than the next couple of weeks including the buy built in there and then you get a true gauntlet against the Bengals on December 10th so this is a very interesting territory for the Colts to be in where if you're still on the train of hey I feel like they could backdoor their way into the playoffs well that's fine but you have to take care of your business these next three weeks going into that game against Cincinnati. Yeah, we'll dive deeper into the playoff picture. And, hey, man, it's great to be off the heels of a win yesterday. Sure, Uh, You're four and five. Same record as the Raiders. So, hey, but... I I don't know how great you feel about the silver and black right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> After yesterday, maybe not so bad, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Dyson up the Giants hey, does uh, wonders for you I in didn't, your confidence. I didn't know if the Raiders would put up 30 again this year. I didn't even know if they did before that, actually, now that I say that out loud. But, uh, hey, you know, it's it, Chargers are behind you, right? So that's something. Well, National pundits always have them at the top every year. It's true until... Tonight, maybe, <laughs> like if the Chargers win, you're behind them. But you look at the AFC North, Jimmy, and look at that division. It's, it's insane. insane. The Ravens are 7-2. and two. Everybody else is 5-3. and three. Steelers, Browns, Bengals, everyone's 5-3. and three. Think about that. At worst, everyone in the division is two games over 500. That, that, there isn't one division that has their last place team over 500. Not one. I mean, I like at a minimum, everybody's at least two games under 500. Some are five or six or seven games under 500, like the NFC West and the Cardinals. So we'll get back to the playoff picture in a little while. Coming up next, Don Fisher, voice of the IU Hoosiers. Hoosiers set to tip it off the season tomorrow night. We'll preview it and uh, get his thoughts on Bob Knight as well. That's on the way. I'm Brian, though, in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. Pleased to welcome in Don Fisher, voice of the IU Hoosiers. You know, these stupid questions come to my head from time to time, Fish, and I, I apologize, but do you like fish? Are you a big fish eater? <laughs> well, uh, I do like fish if it's fresh, obviously. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a sushi guy, but I definitely, if I go any place on the West Coast, East Coast, Gulf Coast, wherever those kinds of places are, I always eat fish and I eat a lot of it. So, yeah, I like fish. I, just, I like it fresh. And there is a place in Greenwood where we do shop every now and then that has really good fresh fish, just like Coney Jack's up on the north side. See, I'm interested in this. Uh, one more as I dig just a slightly bit deeper. What's your favorite kind of fish? Are you a catfish guy, a little perch? How do you get down? Well, uh, back in the day when I was a kid, the only fish, so, because it was a white fish and flaky and all that kind of stuff. So I love perch at that point in time, but I haven't. I don't even know if anybody makes perch anymore. <laughs> I haven't heard of perch in a long time, but my, my, uh, any kind of a white flaky fish, I love that kind of stuff. That's awesome, man. Well, we'll get into the season here momentarily, but shifting to IU hoops, I just want to start with Bob Knight. Like, what are your thoughts about him passing away, and what did Bob, Bob Knight mean to you when you've called so many of the games that he was coaching at IU? Well, the first thing I would say is it's a blessing that he's gone in the sense that his quality of life at the end of his life was not very good at all. In fact, uh, it's a blessing to the family. Uh, I feel much better for Karen and Pat and the rest of the family in regard to what they had to deal with over the last several months of this of, of his of his life. Um, but from a perspective of Bob Knight, the basketball coach. Uh, I have always said this, and, and I've never wavered in it, that Bob Knight's the, the best college basketball coach in the history of the game. And that's 
my thinking process, but I think there are a lot of other people that I that would agree with me. He, he was such a genius when it came to college basketball. He saw basketball in a different lens than what we uh, normal human beings see it in. Uh, yes, he was controversial, and there were all kinds of things at the end that were not good when he was in Indiana. But at the same time, from just a pure basketball standpoint, there's nobody ever done it better than he. And uh, we're going to all miss him because of that. And, of course, the historical performance that he had at Indiana University uh, in, in the entire state and the hold he had on this entire state back when he was coaching was just unbelievable. And without doubt, we're all going to miss him. Just the historical presence of Bob Knight is something, uh, at least at this point in time, that we can all still enjoy. Don, this feels like a Captain Obvious question and answer, but sometimes the obvious answer isn't the one that the person that was a part of the moment picks. So I'm curious for you, your favorite call from the night era, is it Keith Smart, or is there another one in there that tops it for you? Well, obviously the Smart call was uh, was uh, probably one of my favorites without question. I, I can't argue that there weren't a lot of really good calls during those years that Coach Knight uh, had his teams at the top of the heap. But uh, my favorite, of course, is the one that was my very first one in, in, in the essence of uh, – of what it meant was the first national championship in that last minute and a half, two minutes of the ball game. But Coach Knight was taking those players out of the ball game one at a time, basically, uh, and they were jumping up and down and just absolutely going crazy because you never saw that out of those kids during the season. Those guys were business, all business, all the time. Um, and at least from the standpoint of us as a, the public looking inside or looking from the outside, and uh, I just loved it for those players and the emotion that they showed at that point in time. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to tell you that I had cheer, tears coming down my cheeks that day that they won the national championship as they were going through that last two minutes. He's Don Fisher, voice of the IU Hoosiers, joining us here on The Fan. Do you ever have a call that you hated, Fish? Where you're like, you tripped over your words or you said something too loud or whatever. Like, you just didn't like it? You're, you're asking me for a specific, and there is no specific, because I think about out of the, what, 50,000 or, or 100,000 calls that I've had, about 999,000 of those 100,000 were not very good, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so Keith Smart was the only one you liked? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> No, not the only one, but again, you got to take it into perspective here. If there's been 100,000 calls, you know that there were a few in there that I enjoyed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about that. How about uh, this season's IU Hoosiers? They tip it off uh, tomorrow night against Florida Gulf Coast. What do you think? And you're going to hear this all the time, man. I'm sorry it's like a layup question, but I'm curious what you say. What do you think the realistic ceiling is for the Hoosiers this season? Well, I know that there's a high ceiling, um, but the question is, will they reach it? Uh, This is a team that's got six new faces on it uh, and lost most of what they had from a scoring perspective a year ago. Uh, Xavier Johnson, of course, and Trey Galloway. Johnson didn't play much last year. That's why he got the the medical redshirt to play again this season. Uh, Galloway, of course, was uh, he didn't shoot it a ton, but he was really good when he did. 
Um, but the rest of these guys are all new to the to the situation that they're in for the most part. Obviously, Malik Renew's not, but you get my point here is they've got so many new faces out there. They're all they're trying to get a chemistry uh, implanted. They're trying to uh, find out whose strengths and weaknesses that who has the strengths and who's got the the, the lesser weaknesses that type of thing. So uh, you know it's a process, and you go through the process, and that's why. I never predicted or I try not to predict because I think there are too many things that can happen with injuries, uh, with guys not performing up to expectations or guys going beyond what expectations are of them. So it's really it's it's a shot in the dark to say something at this point, but I do think this team has a high ceiling. I think they've got really good athletes. They're longer than we've had in Indiana and sometime. I'm talking about their, their height and their, and their length. Uh, and so how they can go about things. And we're going to see a little bit different look this year because there's no longer a Trace Jackson Davis to feed the ball to. So it's going to be interesting to see how they coalesce, how they uh, become a team, so to speak. And that's what Mike's working on right now here at the early part of the year. Voice of Hoosiers, Don Fisher, taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Don, basketball season has arrived. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm ready for another fun season of IU basketball. But... I have to ask this question, and I do mean it in full sincerity. Did IU football, despite Wisconsin being shorthanded, get up off the mat on Saturday? And what I mean by that is you look at the rest of the schedule, and somehow, despite everything that's gone on this year, a path to bowl eligibility is now in front of them. Are are they up off the mat? Is there real hope there? Or am I getting hyped up about nothing? Well, I hope you're not getting hyped up about nothing because the last two weeks, and and they gave me hope against Penn State uh, two weeks ago. They played really well against the uh, Nittany Lions. They had a chance, honestly, to go ahead. At least they they did tie the ball game late with about five minutes to go. Um, when I thought they might have, you know, really been more aggressive and going for a touchdown, but they settled for the tie at that point, figuring that they were going to get the ball back at some juncture. It didn't work out. They ended up losing the game. But I was heightened by the fact that the defense played really well throughout that ball game for the most part, with the exception of a couple of plays. And the same thing happened this past week. I thought defensively, that's the reason they beat Wisconsin, because the defense shut down what Wisconsin was trying to do offensively. And granted, Wisconsin was a little bit shy with the starting quarterback who'd been gone for a week or two already prior to Indiana playing them. So they were going shorthanded in that spot, and then their best running back went out in the previous week prior to the Indiana ball game. He wasn't available, and one of their top receivers in Chibre DK, he was not available either. So they were missing three really important pieces to their offense, but I still like what I saw from the defensive unit in this ball game. They played hard. They didn't make mistakes like they had previously, and they saved the game for Indiana because if you looked at the stats at the end of the contest, Indiana had only 36 yards of offense in the final half of that ball game. Now that's incredible when you consider that Indiana held them to a 17 to a 14 point total, and one of those touchdowns was in the first half. The other was at the beginning of the second half, and from that point forward, Indiana held them out of the end zone. I just thought defensively, Indiana has made some big strides over the last two weeks. I think Brendan Sorsby has also made strides in his fourth 
uh, start of the year. I didn't think the offensive line did a great job in that matchup against Wisconsin, especially in the second half. I think they did early, but in the second half, not so much. So I'm just, right now, I don't know what to think. All I can tell you is it looks like on paper that they have three winnable games uh, at the end of the season here if they play up to their capability. And if they do that, of course, they got to start with Illinois this coming Saturday, who also won a game that a lot of people didn't think they could win and came back at the end and did it without their star quarterback and have a guy from Ball State who transferred into Illinois win the ball game for them with his performance at the quarterback position. I think it's going to be a huge challenge for Indiana, but I do think that there's new confidence and a new belief amongst the team itself, and hopefully that could transfer over into the fan base, especially if they win this coming weekend. You know, I want to circle back to the uh, IU Hoosiers basketball team. And I was just thinking about, you mentioned this with, uh, Jimmy asked you about Trace Jackson Davis. You think about Jalen Hood Shafino. Just replacing impact players, right? How would you compare what the Hoosiers have to do this season to what the Hoosiers have had to do in previous seasons where it's a huge challenge to replace impact players like that? How would you compare this season's challenge to other challenges IU has had to face? Well, now you're asking me to think about stuff in the past, and you know that my memory banks are not (laughs) nearly inspiring like they used to. Um, But it's always a challenge. But here's the thing. I mean, with Trace Jackson Davis in the lineup, Indiana basically played one way. With, with Trace being gone and with the influx of players that Mike has brought in this year, the six guys, you can see that it's going to be a different look to this basketball team. And it's not going to be just going inside all the time, taking rolls and those kinds of things. It's going to open up the game for other players. And they've got some kids in this team that I think could shoot the three, uh, and Baco being one of them. Where the seven-foot guy from Oregon knocking in two threes against the team that we played against this past week at Marion. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's going to be the case all the time. And then Malik Renew knocking in a three. I mean, look, these guys are not your normal three-point shooters, and yet they're knocking down three-point shots that will spread the floor like nothing we've seen previously because you could sit there against Indiana previously and not worry about the three-point shot hardly at all. And now you're going to have to play for it. And I think that really helps this ball club. So uh, I, I think the sky's the limit for this team, but it's a matter of how they coalesce into a, into a team itself and play together and figure each other out and obviously communicate because the, probably the one, the one thing that's overlooked more than anything else on a basketball court is the communication between the players themselves because that is such a critical factor both offensively and defensively and not many people think about that but it's a huge factor well hey don we really appreciate your time today love talking hoops football with you and a little fish as well i couldn't help but ask you that the intro is like fish and in my head i'm like does he even like fish i had to know but thanks for rolling with the punches there don <laughs> not, not a problem here's here's my only thought today guys I feel bad for Jake Query, who's in Europe, and I know he had planned for Coach Knight's passing for some time, and that material, by the time he gets back on the air, is going to be down the toilet.
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, man, the struggles in radio are real, Don. That's how it goes sometimes. Don, you know? it's, been, it's been eating at him for sure. I would like to think there's some solace in him being in Europe and getting to see all the sights and sound over there. Hopefully it's made it a little easier on him. <laughs> well, let's hope so, because if it hasn't, it's going to be a rotten vacation. <laughs> well, hey, Fish, uh, good spending some time with you, man. Uh, have a good call tomorrow night. We'll catch you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. There he is, Don Fisher, voice of the IU Hoosiers and uh, a fan of uh, Mahi Mahi. So, yeah, you learned something about fish today. I think uh, you might not have known before, right, Jimmy? It's grouper for me. Really? Love grouper. Yep. You know what? I'm a picky eater. I'm not picky about fish at all. I eat all kinds of fish. I don't think there's fish that I've had that I disliked. And I'm telling you, I'm very picky. Anybody who knows me will tell you how picky I am or how slow of an eater I am. But fish? No, man. Throw some fish in front of me. I'll probably eat it and enjoy it. I'm with you in that camp, but... Do you have a favorite, or are you like, eh, it's all about the same? Uh, you know, I love catfish, probably at the okay. top of the list. Big catfish sure. guy. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you all the other stuff. You know, trout, rainbow trout, cod. I'm sure I've had cod. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. That's it for my list. Uh, Bluegill. <laughs> salmon. Oh, I love salmon. Tilapia. There you go. Eddie. Tilapia. Well yeah. Yeah. Uh, perch, bluegill, all that. Yeah, it's great. Good eating right there. I don't know that Alligator. I've had bass. I haven't had gator. <laughs> I'm not had gator, gator is good. Gator's good. Hey, we'll have Mike Chappell at the top of the hour talking some Colts. Coming up next, oh, man, you talk about bad timing for this team and this player. <laughs> Do we have an example for you? Coming up, I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Man, I'll tell you what. It's bad enough from a Panthers perspective that their number one overall pick, Bryce Young, who they traded a ton for through three interceptions, including two pick sixes to the Colts yesterday, Jimmy. It's even worse that on the same day, the guy who was selected number two overall in C.J. Stroud threw for 470 yards and... How many touchdowns over there? I lost count. How many touchdowns? Five touchdowns. Five Five of them. My goodness. That that is awful timing for Bryce Young and the Panthers that both of those things happened on the same day. You know maybe you've messed up if somehow you look worse than the Bears from that decision-making that happened last year's draft because there's been criticism thrown every now and again at – what happened with Chicago deciding, yeah, we're good. We're kind of waiting to next year. We want the assets, want the draft capital. And I suppose maybe that story deserves to still be told because they do have Carolina's first round pick this year. But they decide, yeah, nobody here in the quarterback market entrusts us. Not Stroud, not Young, 
not Richardson, not Levis. We don't want any of them. We're going to just punt and we'll reevaluate things and take your draft capital and some nice assets. Thank you very much. And then you get to the podium as your Carolina. And look, it's still early for Young, but we're starting to leave early territory for Stroud. After a performance like that, when you're starting to look around and all the criticisms that were with him, I threw a couple there as well of like, what are the Texans going to be able to do? Doesn't matter, apparently, who he has around him because he's just going to create and make plays for this team. It looks awful for Carolina. And again, it says a lot when maybe you look worse than the team that potentially could have had C.J. Stroud and then traded back anyway. It's a tough look for Frank like for the Panthers and that entire organization. He's just so good. He's He's such a ball placement specialist. Isn't that what he called himself back during the draft time? Uh, yeah, right, in Indy. Um, and he was waxing poetic about himself. Remember when everybody was talking uh, themselves up? My favorite line was Bryce Young saying, I've been this height my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> or the, I forget if it was height or size, but whatever. That's not the greatest sales pitch right there. But C.J. Stroud, 14 touchdown passes, one interception, one it's, he's been doing a fantastic job. You got to give credit where it's due. And I, I could not have been more wrong, at least eight games into his NFL career. I th- it made all the sense in the world where the talent he was surrounded by at Ohio State, he's got a fraction of that in his rookie season with the Houston Texans. And I thought you would see that reflected in the numbers. And you don't. It's the complete opposite. Especially out of the gate when you looked at what was around him to start the season in Houston. Like, I felt like that the idea they couldn't build around him or bring a comparable weapon or two. You're not going to obviously have the cupboard that a college top-tier program has. But maybe as his career moves on, Houston will be able to develop around him. But the fact that he's doing it with what's out there is remarkable. And, like, do I think this is slight hyperbole from some of the national pundits? Yes, but if not for Lamar Jackson doing what he's done this year, there is a conversation that maybe Stroud deserves MVP votes, which is nuts. Like, it's absolutely insane. And, again, I feel like that might be going slightly a bridge too far, but I saw it nationally yesterday, and after what he was able to do at the end of that game against Tampa Bay, I know the Buccaneers aren't world beaters, but... That's a game with that little time left that most teams close out and Stroud's able to carve them up once more. So, yeah, you tip the cap to him. You tip the cap the Texans for taking their guy and believing in the guy they wanted. And it's smooth sailing. If this is the rookie campaign with what's out there, imagine what it's going to be like when they're able to acquire some talent to build around him too. Plus 13,000 are the odds for C.J. Stroud as the regular season MVP. He won't won't get that because A – what Lamar has done this year. He's probably front runner, right? Am I fair on that? Behind Geno Smith. No, your guy, yes, the front runner. Lamar's third. I'd bet I'd bet Jackson. I would I would you know, bet I would bet Lamar Jackson if I was doing it right now. Mm, Not because Burrow. I think Pat's taking a step back. I would like Burrow. Yeah. Go yeah. go on with that. I, I wouldn't say no to Burrow either. He's he's, he's got once he's hel- he's healthy now, you can see the difference yeah. and yeah. That losing skid at the beginning of the year. That could be a distant memory the way things are trending. He'd probably be in it. My guy, too, is losing a little bit of steam with the Dolphins losing against good teams. That doesn't help, but yeah, I, it's crazy that C.J. Stroud's even in the conversation. I wouldn't say, that's in, that's crazy. Like You can't you can't say that. No. Look at the numbers that he's put up. He's done a fantastic job so far. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the Colts, obviously, with Mike Chappell coming up right around the corner, what he saw 
from the Colts winning by two touchdowns against Carolina yesterday and beyond for Indy this season. That's on the way. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It is Query and Company on, company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Please welcome in Mike Chappell, Colts beat writer for CBS4 and Fox 59. Uh, good afternoon, Chap. How are things? How are and uh, what do you think about the Colts win yesterday? Well, any, any win is great. And it's funny how you – it's all about Kenny Moore and how well the defense played against a really, really bad offense. And then the offense didn't play well. But, uh, you know, you look around the league and you win and then you go on to the next game. And so, you know, it's that, – that's all I do. It's a bottom-line business. Did they, should they have played better? Sure. But they did what they had to do, and that's that's what you do each week. Chapper, we at a point where, and I already did this today on air, and in fact I did it earlier in the season too, but are we at a point where all the criticism, any of it, and I gave some at the time, towards the signing of Matt Gay has officially been put to bed? Yeah, and I, I, I just never understood it at the time. It's not like they signed a you know, a, a receiver for $20 million a year. It was a... It was a kicker for what was it, five million dollars a year, and all that stuff. And in the realm of, of, of building your roster, you know, so what? I mean, it's it's not a big deal. This was going to be an offense or a team that was going to need points wherever they could get them. And he's just week after week shown that this is why you invest that in that position. You don't worry about it. You know, they beat Baltimore. In Baltimore, which now everybody says that's the best team in the league, and they might be because of that game. You know, Chap, I think there's a spectrum, and I'll label it the Steelers and Saban, right? Where if you look at the Steelers this year, they're winning ugly. They've been outgained in every game, but they're winning. They're 5-3, and three, and that's great. So you could look at it and be like, I don't care how ugly it is as long as you win. Then I think about Nick Saban. There are times where he's interviewed after a win and he sounds like they got blown out by 55. You know what I mean? Because he knows that's not going to be good enough to really get anywhere noteworthy. So which end of the spectrum do you happen to be on more times than not as it relates to the Colts where you say it's got to be better or, hey, man, I don't care how ugly it is, they won. Well, the the problem is they, they've, and I'm not breaking ground here, they, they've just... I think they're going to tease us most of the year mm-hmm. with, you know, because I go back to, you know, Cleveland and the Saints at home. Win those two games and look where they are. And I'm not saying, they should, you know, this isn't Kansas City and Miami at home. This was Cleveland and, and the Saints, and they just should have won the games. I mean, they, and it's not being homework. I think it's just looking at it and saying, I can't believe they lost those games. And see where they are, and then we'll see what happens in Germany, but if they play well, and that's that's not a given, then look where they are. And, and then you've got things in front of you that I, I don't think they can catch. They could catch Jackson. I think Jackson is for real. I really do. But you just don't know as far as wild cards and all that stuff. So that's 
that's kind of where I'm at is, is what could have been and what still may be. I mean, they've got a lot of games to play against. I think I saw in their broadcast yesterday against the second easiest schedule the rest of the way. So it's it's but but again, this is a flawed team. Most teams, I'm going to say every team. I'm not sure a lot of flaws in Philly, but every team has something that you, you wish you had something more. This team has a few more of that, and injuries are starting to be an issue with receive with some receivers. We'll see where where they are are midweek. It's it's just when you look at it with it with an objective eye, you think, man, this is where they are four and five, but look where they could be and maybe should be, but that's what this season's going to be. I mean, most of the fan base was hoping for fewer wins and a higher draft pick, and that's not going to be the case. It's just not, unfortunately. So this is what they got. It's entertaining. It's just entertaining as heck. But I think you go broke trying trying to bet on this team every week. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox 9 and CBS 4 taking some time with us here on Query and Company. Mike, I don't feel any more confident in the Colts defensively yesterday than I did going in, other than, oh, that's right, Kenny Moore's a pretty good player. And, like, there's still good players, particularly in that linebacker room, but I don't feel like, okay, I can rely on them every game now, and that's going to carry them. And the reason I bring that up is because you've highlighted, despite it being a win, the offensive struggle still clearly being there. So let's go with that side of the ball. Is there areas where there can be significant growth offensively, or is this basically what they're going to be this year? Well, I, I think yesterday was a, sort of a byproduct of Shane Steichen saying, you know, internally, Carolina is not going to throw up 30 points. There is not. 20 points, probably not. So let's not do anything stupid and, and threaten the game with turnovers. Uh, I think they took the approach they were going to run the ball. In Carolina, whatever, however bad they've been, and they've been really bad, they weren't going to let that happen. And I was disappointed the run game wasn't better because it wasn't. It was like 2.6 a carry. Even if a team's stacking the line on you, if that's what your strength is, you should you should have better success. I was disappointed in that. They weren't going to let Minshew do anything screwy they just weren't and, and he wasn't very good yesterday so I, I don't know I, I don't know where to say in moving forward they're going to be better because well but there, there's just a ceiling on where this offense can be the way it's constructed without dragging anybody's name in it, it it's just because again you've got they're, they're not they're not really able to push the ball down the field much a lot and yesterday was again they, they weren't going to do that anyway so this, they're going to need to be able to get some some more out of the run game, more consistent from the run game. We're going to see more. Of, I think I think yesterday is how we're going to see the running backs room moving forward. What was it? Uh, JT was was quite a bit more, quite a bit more, and that's what we're going to see. But I just think that this is what this offense is. It's going to be you know maybe they end up the season the only team to score twenty points in every game, <laughs> and you're going to think really, and then you're going to think. Really? I mean, you know, because it, it, it just doesn't seem like it. it and, of course, yesterday they, they did because Kenny Moore outscored uh, Carolina. 
Man, my wallet is uh, unhappy with the Colts running game yesterday as well, chap. My goodness, I had uh, Jonathan Taylor. I'll get into that. I won't bore you with any of that talk. But I just I look at the two games between uh, for the Colts against the Panthers and then a couple of weeks ago against the Browns. And I know it's home versus away, but you're talking about over 450 yards of total offense, 38 points against the Browns defense. And then yesterday, the Panthers haven't been able to tell anybody, no, you're not running it on us. And that's what they told the Colts throughout most of that game, especially the second half. And I'm just trying to find a way to explain that. And there's nothing that makes complete sense to me. Is there anything that makes sense to you? No, they, they just won the line of scrimmage. I mean, there was it, it, part of the 2.6 was, you know, in the last, in the, in the fourth quarter when the Colts were just running, just running the clock out. I always feel bad for the running back when it gets like that. And, you know, it's first and 10 and you're just eating clock. And he knows he's getting nothing. Unless yeah. he just breaks up, he's getting nothing. But early in the game, they still they, they weren't running the ball well. They just weren't. And that's why I say when that's your strength, when the offensive line is your strength, you, you, even though it's going to be tough sledding, you certainly you should get, you know, four, four and a half yards in an attempt, and they didn't. Uh, and it doesn't help that in that game they weren't really pushing the ball down the field. So it's almost like they were daring Minshew to stand there and take some shots, and they didn't. So I just think it was a game where they, they weren't going to do anything, you know, to mess it up on offense. They were just going to say, okay, this is all we need to do. And I think we saw a very conservative play calling, which has not been Shane Steichen's and Zimmo. Uh, but, again, it's just a case where you, you figure out early on what it's going to take to win a game. You make, again, you go in thinking – you know, they're awful at the run game. We're pretty good at it. We should get something. I can't tell you how many times over the course I've followed the team where we've had those matchups and the strength hasn't worked for whatever reason. But to think you can have 198 yards total offense, and the guy looked it up, and it's a, it's a fifth fewest hmm. uh, in, the, in the era, fewest, fewest yards in a win. Uh, they've only won five games with less than 200 yards. <laughs> so it's, it's not it's not the way you do things, but it, it worked for them. And uh, and again, but the rest of the defense, God, they gave up 100 what was it 30 or 40 yards rushing, and that, that's disappointing. In, in regards to that, they miss they miss Grover Stewart. I mean, we we knew they would. They do. Uh, they miss Zaire Franklin. Uh, we knew they would, and they did. Uh, so you got two of your of your up the middle, you know, players that are not there at least for that game. So you're going to have problems. But it, it's kind of what we've seen on defense, and they, they weren't really pushed on the outside because because Bryce Young just isn't ready for that, and they just swarm the defensive front really won won the day. But you know, when you're missing your two guys up the middle. You're not going to be as forceful. So, you know, we'll see where this goes, but they've got to play better. The encouraging thing is that they're just not facing stud quarterbacks the rest of the way. Joe Burrow, yes, yes. C.J. Stroud, apparently, apparently, yeah. yes. But beyond that, it shouldn't be, boy, if we're not really tight on the outside or down the middle, we're going to give up 350 yards. But they have to play better. They just do, and – but that, that's this team. It just is. That, that's who these guys are right now. It's going to be a struggle most of the time. And you just hope you don't make those glaring mistakes that cost you, because that's what costs you in close games.
Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS4 is our guest. Chap, we were discussing this in our opening segment. At what point moving forward with Jonathan Taylor, and Eddie brought this up as well, that Shane Steichen has been true to his word. This month back for him was going to be a slow ramp up, and you were going to see snap counts and carries increase over time. We're now at about a month since that's happened. Let's say for the sake of argument, they do increase the workload further. How long will it take over these next couple of games for us to get a clear evaluation if this is just a a shaky year for Jonathan Taylor or the offensive line is not providing proper running lanes for him? At what point do we get an answer to that, if at all? Well, I I think up until yesterday, he's played pretty well. I mean, you know, the the explosive plays and he was averaging whatever it was, five or four, five, four, six a game. And, you know, except except for the second half against the Saints, which was, that wasn't Jonathan Taylor, that, that was play calling. Uh, so I, I haven't been concerned about whether or not he's back and, and that guy, and it's been it's been that he's had limited usage. Uh, you know, I think yesterday was usage-wise, I think that's what we see the rest of the way, really do. I think he had, was it 19 or 20 touches? And I think Moss had, I don't know what it was, I haven't got much stat sheet in front of me, six or seven, whatever it was. I think that's what it's going to be. Now, if he goes another game or two where they just can't run the ball, then we've got a problem. But I, 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 I'm not concerned right yet. Certainly not with him. I, I haven't seen I haven't seen anything from him to make me think, oh man, what's going on? Because I thought his his uh, that touchdown on the screen was pretty impressive. It was it ten or twelve yards and really decisive? Even let his blocks, you know, with, with Will Fries and, and Quentin. I, I thought he played well. But the offensive line again, uh, run blocking was was not good. I mean, two point six with, with Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss is just abysmal. You can't do that. But I I, I don't have concerns at this point with Jonathan Taylor. It, it, it's just been circumstances. If again they go to Germany and they can't do much, and then with again the defenses that they've got coming up, if that's an issue, then they have an issue because they cannot throw the ball forty times a game and win very often. They just can't. That's not Minshew's MO. It's not uh, – what was the stat I used? He, he, he's 1-10 in 10 when he throws 40 passes. Well, 40 isn't an absurd a number. Now, 50 is, but this is with 40. So they, they've got to get a lot more from the run game. I think they will. Uh, again, but, it, it, and, but that's – I'd rather be – if I'm the Colts or the fan base, I'd rather be picking apart this team – after you beat somebody 27-13 than doing this because they, they they let them hang around and you got beat, you know, 28-27 or whatever. So, But that's the nature of it, and I understand that, and it should be. You, know, you shouldn't say, well, boy, we're forget the fact that we didn't do this, couldn't do this, we won the game. That, that's not what they do. You know, Alec Pierce didn't have a catch. He had, like, one target. So there's a lot of things you can pick over. I would rather do constructive criticism on a victory Monday than against than than with the Cleveland game or with the Saints game or even the Jacksonville game. No, hey man, well said, chap. But hey, we appreciate your time. We'll let you run. Hope you have a good rest of the day. We'll catch you soon, chap. Thanks, guys. Thank you. There he is, Mike Chapel, Colts beat reporter for CBS Four and Fox Fifty Nine, joining us here on the Fan. Yeah, I get it, man. Constructive criticism. After what we saw from the Colts' offense, 
uh, yesterday, not gaining 200 yards. That's crazy. What was the stat that he said, Jimmy? That's happened five times in franchise history? Yeah. When they've won <laughs> right. with, with less than 200 yards of total offense. Think how many games the Colts have played in their franchise history. A lot. It's happened five times that they've won games <laughs> with less than 200 yards. That typically doesn't happen. You always hear this, Jimmy, defense travels. And it does. But what we don't talk about is a good offensive line travels yep. as well. And that was not a like a rabid atmosphere where they're playing at Seattle and the crowd noise and you jumped offside the false starts and all that like that's not what it was and they just the crowd was dead in the second half the Carolina's down you know and they, they just couldn't run the ball so that, that was strange to see because it's a little like basketball if you've got an advantage uh, like in the front court to not see a player take advantage of that is like, what happened? Like that, That's the feeling I had with the Colts run blocking yesterday. It's just like, what happened against Carolina? Yeah, and I agree with Chap. Like, I don't think at this point, and if that's how it's coming off, I want to clarify it. I'm not blaming Jonathan Taylor at this stage. No. I think it's up front right. with the line, and it's a frustrating thing that might not be solved or fixed this year. I hope it does because Chap's right. They can't afford to drop back 45, 50 times and, and hope to stay in ball games. And I know that's a conflicting philosophical angle depending on what you're rooting for as a Colts fan right now. But yeah, after a victory Monday, you'll take that type of constructive criticism, as he mentioned, when you have another one in the win column. It's just if this is a team that's going to hang around the outskirts of the playoff picture, that's stuff that has to be fixed in the coming weeks. And there's not a ton of answers for me other than Jonathan Taylor needs to be an impact player. And Chap's right. They found him in the passing games at times. That was something that going into the season, before any of the contract dispute, when you were thinking of reasons why not to pay him, it's because, oh, he's not a pass-catching running back. Well, part of that reason is he wasn't utilized that way. He was not asked to be that outside of an occasional screen or two here or there. And then that workload has been increased in the passing game a handful of times in his return. And he becomes a more dynamic player because of that. But if you aren't able to solidify things in terms of angles for him, yes, you'll still get good Jonathan Taylor performances because inherently he's one of the top five backs in the sport, but you're never going to get what you need out of him to win games if the O-line isn't doing their part. Yeah, I've got a theory too based on how you and I feel today and I think a good amount of Colts fans would feel today is um, if the production was flipped, right? I think we would feel differently. Like, think of it this way. So the defense did their job. Shut down Carolina. Three interceptions, right? Two pick sixes. Banner day. Especially with a couple of guys being down and Grover Stewart, Zaire Franklin. That's a really good game, all things considered. And the offense gains less than 200 yards. And the running game doesn't work. Like, if it's exactly flipped, Jimmy, let's say that the Colts offense has a banner day. They do some things that are just like, wow, how about Minshew with the three <laughs> touchdown passes or whatever, right? Like, whatever the equivalent is. And the defense, well, that was the side of the ball that struggled. They either couldn't stop the run or it just it wasn't a great – it gave off a bunch of yards, right? Like, I think today if the offense – like led the highlights and you're like, whoa, did you see that run by Jonathan Taylor? I don't think we're nitpicking the defense as much. And my theory is it's much more of an offensive league. 
When you see the highlights, it's offensive fireworks. It's not often defensive fireworks, right? The rules are set up that way. Scoring is much higher than previous eras. We get all of that. So when the offense struggles, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Less than 200 yards of total offense is just like, what are they doing right now? Um, so I think if it was flipped, it'd be a different reaction today. That's a great point. I completely agree with you in part because... The Colts going into that game, and it was solidified, I think, a bit once Zaire Franklin is declared inactive, they're not a great defense. And you know how suspect or toast, as we've often referred to them, their secondary can be. So if you were to see a bad performance from them yesterday, not going to surprise you all that much. But when you see it from an offense who, again, it's not like they're world beaters. They're not the Dolphins. They're not the Chiefs. They're not the Bengals. Like It's not like there's high hopes of, man, this is supposed to be an explosive offense, but they're not supposed to be what they were yesterday. I totally agree with you. If this is flipped, they still win, but it's because of the offense, not the defense. It's easier to stomach because you already knew about the glaring issues defensively. And on top of that, this was supposed to be, or at least we thought, And Frank Reich thought so as well. This was going to be heavy Jonathan Taylor dominant day. That's why they paid him. That's why he's on Lucas Oil Stadium, like front page of every news outlet. It's going to be Jonathan Taylor. And it wasn't that. It's Kenny Moore and two pick sixes. Tip of the cap to him, tip of the the cap to the defense. But it feels different because they overperformed and a group you thought would come to play sometimes didn't have to, but other times were frustratingly mediocre. Yeah, man, this was, again, this was Melanie Collins from CBS right after halftime, what she said about Frank Reich. Frank Reich told us this week the goal was to hold Jonathan Taylor under 100 yards on the day, and he had 41 in that first half. So Reich told me he's pleased with his run defense against that Colts rushing attack. How about that? Like, keep him under 100. We held him to 41? Great. (laughs) Great. Keep it up. Good first half. (laughs) Seven carries for six yards in the second half. Wait, I'm sorry. We're we're trailing in this game? Wait, we still lost? I don't don't understand what happened. We kept Jonathan Taylor in check. What's going on? Oh, they have two pick sixes? Wow, that's super frustrating. Why it gets more... We have Kenny Moore. (laughs) Exactly. Why it becomes more mind-numbing for the Colts is that the teams they play the rest of the way... Yes, they're winnable games up until Detroit. The next three weeks, I should say. And yes, the chap mentioned it, second easiest schedule the rest of the way. But you look at this three-week window, there are a couple of units, Tampa Bay, and depending on what's happening in Tennessee, maybe the Titans as well, where can you really rely on this defense? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But you definitely need your offense to come to the party. And if they don't, This is going to be not necessarily a three-game skid for the Colts, but it's going to be high-pressed, down-to-the-wire type games unless your offense has that resurgency. And to your point, Brian, it's extra frustrating because you've seen it at times this year. It's not even about the, oh, well, Anthony Richardson's done for the year. What do you expect from this offense? No, Minshew did that against Cleveland. Like Cleveland, by all accounts, is a championship-caliber team on defense alone. And you're able to carve them up. And I know you highlighted that yesterday. Do we see that ever again this year? Or was it a perfect storm one-off? Because if you're able to get even half of that back offensively, you're going to keep yourself in some games. Well, that's the thing. And, and we'll get to that coming up is what to expect from the Colts when you spin it forward. And I've got a couple of thoughts. I know, Jimmy, you'll have many. Uh, that's on the way. 
I'm Brian Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Noen for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Yeah, so... Obviously reacting to a a victory Monday, huh? With the Colts beating the Panthers yesterday. That's great. It's fantastic. But, uh, you know, I'm channeling my inner Nick Saban here, Jimmy. (laughs) Where it was a birthday weekend. My birthday was on Saturday. I see some of the the aftermath of the birthday. You know, I see a bag. Thank you very much. I see a bag over there. I see, you know, some some silly string on the wall. That remains, even though we kind of washed it off. So that's not great. (laughs) But anyway, um, you know, it's not just streamers and balloons and happy-go-lucky reaction mode, at least for me, with the Colts beating the Panthers. I'm a little Nick Saban here. Not full-fledged, but a little bit because it's got to be a lot better than yesterday to get anywhere of note, especially in the loaded AFC. It's a freaking gauntlet. So let's start small. Next week, it's with the Patriots. We won't do a full-blown breakdown because we'll save some of that throughout the week. But when you just look at this game on the surface, what are the Patriots going to do offensively against the Colts? Well, first off, they're going to try to run the ball, which is what the Panthers just did very successfully. And if you don't have Grover Stewart, who's suspended... We'll see if they get Zaire Franklin back. But that run defense got to be a whole lot better. With the secondary being as as it is, like to face a team that's running the ball well and has some advantages against your secondary, now you're cooking with grease as an offense. And we're not going to confuse Mac Jones and the Patriots with being high-flying, but if they're balanced, any balanced team – that's having success running and passing is dangerous. So the Colts got to take something away, and they certainly didn't take the run game away from the Panthers yesterday. They're slightly better than Carolina in terms of where they are this season. I know it's not saying much because the Panthers are one of the worst teams in the league outside of, you know, probably Arizona, and that's not saying much because the Cardinals are what the Cardinals are. But they do have the ability to run the football, as you mentioned, and then Mac Jones looked better against the commanders but that's not saying that much because he's looked putrid at times this year so it it is a weird game in terms of matchup I will say and this is all I'll say on the matter uh I joked that the fans over in Frankfurt were gonna get full-scale fireworks yesterday with Dolphins Chiefs 35 points is the total in that game uh Colts Patriots over under is 43 and a half so uh, who would have thought that at least perhaps Colts Patriots would have the opportunity to be to be the fireworks show in terms of scoring when the Frankfurt games were released to start the season. But back to the Colts. Yeah, I mean, you need to be able to find yourselves offensively because when it's a balanced New England attack and you still have clear holes on defense, unless it's a building block game for DeForest Buckner, unless it's a building block game for the Colts up front and you're able to make life difficult for Mac Jones, this is going to be a tougher-than-expected matchup, I think, for the Colts' defense. And if the offense isn't there, 
it's going to be an ugly game. Proud of you, Jimmy, for getting uh, an hour and 35 minutes into the show before you got your elbow into the side of Brian No. I, I, I all, all I did was mention the total. I didn't say anything about, about any. I, it's there, insinuated. It could have been, but I, that was not what that was. By the way, Eddie, um, you know who was eyeing the under of that game? I remember you were. And do you know who was telling me life's too short? <laughs> To take the under? Jimmy never takes under. Yeah. I have an apology, not just to you, but to a member of our audience members. First off, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We've Uh stressed that many a time. Um, I think my record's probably 0-2, and and I know what the first one was, but I was wrong on that as well, for mortal locks of lifetimes. How Tyree Kill didn't find the end zone still is beyond me. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's part of the reason that uh, Mike McDaniel is going to be looking at film all this week, trying to figure out why he didn't, uh, in part because I think the Chiefs have a really good defense. But yeah. again, I want to stray back to the Colts for a number right. of different reasons. Um, but yeah, I'll, look, it was a fun game, and there's opportunity now for me at least where I felt bad for the international games because if that game was full scale fireworks, right? Then you have Colts Pats coming off. Of it. Yeah, like, just like oh my ask. gosh, this isn't even streamers <laughs> right here. It's not sparklers, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> goodness, um, we might have a full breakdown of how you, Jimmy, and you, Eddie, just completely led me down a dark, <laughs> deserted, desolate alley. I gave you one winner yesterday, but yeah, actually two. You know, let's not let's not gloss over the good things. Let's just harp on the bad things here, Eddie. Okay, might have a full blown breakdown in the entire second hour tomorrow. <laughs> I'll was, I was spare you today because it's Victory Monday. No one cares about my bets. But in terms of the Colts, think about this, Jimmy. Their opponent is the Patriots. The Patriots are two and seven. Their record is the same as the Giants and the Bears. <laughs> That's where Bill Belichick and the Pats are right now. But both you and I know they're more dangerous than a 2-7 and seven record. You know, Belichick's going to come up with something scheming-wise. He's either going to do something like the Panthers did and take away Jonathan Taylor and put it all on Minshew or whatever. He's going to come up with something to make life difficult. Doesn't mean that they're going to win for sure. The doesn't mean anything. It just means life's going to be more difficult from a game planning standpoint than it you would think against going up against a two and seven team like the Giants or something like that. And if for some reason you think that's crazy, if you're listening right now, look no further than yesterday. The Colts and the Commanders are, are similar in a handful of ways and clearly just on record alone. But the Commanders went into that game feeling the same way Colts fans probably do right now, which is we're better than the Patriots. Like, what's this Belichick guy without Brady anyway? Like, they, and it, they had to work for it. They had to work yeah. for that entire win over New England. It's likely to be the same. At least that's the pulse right now going over to Frankfurt. It's likely to be that same level of frustration and having to earn it against New England with where question marks are with this team, especially on the offensive end. There was. It's so funny. It's come full circle with the the Patriots. I could try to find this audio. It'd take me a bit, but Bill Bill Belichick, I'm not sure how long ago this was, a little while, but uh, there was a reporter, and it caught headlines because this was a female reporter, and she was talking about the Patriots facing the Colts. Colts had a terrible record at the time, and I can't remember the question exactly, but the reporter was something like, you know, I don't know how much you can tell about your team if you beat the Colts. Something along those lines. And Belichick just stopped her and said, I just completely disagree with you. You can continue with your soliloquy if you want, but you're telling me I can't tell anything about my team 
going up against Dwight Freeney. And he mentioned a couple <laughs> other of the Colts players. And he's like, I totally disagree where you just shrug your shoulders and base everything on the record. It's about yeah. the talent that they have. And the Patriots, they aren't swimming in talent. But I would argue that from a game planning standpoint, Bill Belichick does a lot, more than most, of getting the most yeah. from the roster. So I wouldn't just look 2-7 and seven and be like, oh, yeah. I don't think any Colt fan no, is saying no. layup city. It's just you don't think, oh, Giants, man, we better be on top of our stuff. Oh, Bears come to town? Oh, man, we're playing the Bears in Germany? Gosh, oh, we better be on point. You're not thinking that. But it is the case when you're going up against the Belichick team, even if they are 2-7. and seven. And here's the problem with the Mac Jones argument, because I don't think Mac Jones is a good quarterback. I think that we're, we're seeing the tail end of, of a starter, Mac Jones, and then whatever he's able to fight and earn in the NFL, you know, good for him. Maybe he is able to be a backup. Maybe his NFL tenure is done over the next couple of seasons. I don't know, but I think I've seen enough to where, yeah, I, I'm good. Thanks. That said, though, you still need to have key playmakers defensively to where, yeah, it's Mac Jones, but like he's not going to go deep on us, right? He's not going to challenge us, right? And those question marks are still there in the Colts secondary to where even though I'm not high on Mac Jones, usually it's with a defensive matchup where it's like, hey, he's not going to be able to solve that. He's going to struggle mightily. And there's only a handful of areas where you can point to the Colts defensively and say, yeah, he's going to struggle in that. And the secondary is not one of them. And if they have a balanced day, who would be surprised if you see a 24 for 44, 220 day with a touchdown for Mac Jones? Like that, that's possible. And with how ugly these games have been for New England, that's enough potentially to keep you in the game, depending on what the Colts bring to the table. Yeah. Man, I'm just looking through all this Belichick sound. Good Lord, I don't know how I would find this. <laughs> you had to pull out three different hard drives just going back there's a lot of stuff uh, the, of, of course the famous were on to Cincinnati I love that one <laughs> that was great I love that one so much I will try to find it before the show ends but uh, the point remains and you can follow it where um, you know Belichick talked about the Colts years ago where he's like I don't care what their record is they've got some difference making players and it's an important thing to keep in mind because I think uh, it's different if you're a fan and you're watching the games compared to if you're a coach and you're game planning against an <laughs> opponent. Way different. Yeah. And so uh, that, that point remains with the Patriots this weekend. Uh, coming up next, man, Jimmy, there is a stat here. The Colts are close to this territory which is actually very, very good news. We'll throw that stat at you right around the corner. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. No, and for Jake, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. So that's a crazy stat I saw, Jimmy. This is wild. So the Colts are 4-5, and five, all right? So they're close to being right there with this stat. <laughs> it's about 5-4 and four teams, okay? <laughs> they're a whisker away from that. Maybe if they get a bounce or a call <laughs> against the Browns, we're talking about a 5-4 and four football team right here. 8 of the 13 teams 
that started five and four the past two seasons made the playoffs. Ooh. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? That is a wild stat. And I believe it because at first it's like, whoa, really? And then you think, yeah, that does make sense where there are a lot of teams that they have this middling record, you know, eight, nine weeks into the season and then boom. Think about Tampa when Tom Brady was there that first season where they had won their final four games to, I forget what their record was that you're like 11 and five, something like Mm -hmm. that. So they were about a like a seven and five football team. We weren't saying look out for the Patriots, or, look out for Tampa. You don't want to see Tom Brady, yada yada. It was just like, yeah, this team's all right. And then they won eight straight, including the playoffs. So, how about that? Where the Colts are one win away from a five and four record, and eight of thirteen teams the last two seasons made the playoffs. By the way, if you're scoring at home, there are three teams that are five and four right now: Bills, Vikings. Saints. So I like the Saints' chances in the NFC South because it's brutal. Vikings, eh, without Kirk, maybe. Maybe they challenge for a wild card. Shout out to Josh Dobbs, by the way. Oh, How crazy definitely. was that? <laughs> it was wild, Jimmy. Been, been in uniform for all three days. And then, hey, you're out there. Let's go, Josh. Able to pull off an impressive win against Atlanta. Yeah, look, like, I... I don't know if I have a, a sweet spot for Minnesota or not, but like I've always liked Kirk Cousins. Like I, I've maybe had a limit on what he can do as a quarterback, but like always liked him. And then you're able to watch the quarterback documentary a year ago. If you watch that, you're like, oh, wow, it's a really good guy. And you hate to see his season come to an end like that. And then ultimately you're riding off Minnesota for a number of different reasons based on just where they are going into that game, sitting at four and four. And I picked Atlanta, I think, going in to win that. So to have that emotional roller coaster and then the journey that Josh Dobbs has been on, I think this is his third or fourth different team, maybe fourth or fifth different team, either in the last two seasons or maybe this season alone, for him to get the opportunity, that was special. To the tip of the cap for sure. That was cool because when he was, I can't remember exactly, this was before his rookie season. Might have even been before he was drafted. I can't remember. But I got to interview him. He was the nicest dude on the face of the earth. He really was. And smart guy. I forget what is it, like aerospace engineering? or He's like literally studying rocket science. He interned at NASA <laughs> during his NFL career. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, he's a, he's a brain. And that's the thing, man. He got traded for on Tuesday. He doesn't even know the his teammates' names. He didn't have a practice <laughs> rep, not one. And then the uh, the starting quarterback, Jaron Hall, he either gets concussed or concussion symptoms. He's done for the game. In comes in Josh Dobbs and does his thing. Throws a game-winning touchdown pass, has a bunch of rushing yards, picks up key first downs. He doesn't even know all of his teammates' names. That was sensational. But with all that said, even though that's a movie in the making right there, uh, yeah, I don't know about the Vikings. Uh, They might be able to sneak in in the NFC, but uh, the point is the Colts, it's crazy to say, but they're in the territory of teams that have made it to the playoffs with a 5-4 and record at this stage of the season. That's kind of wild to think about. I would just say this, though, Jimmy. The Vikings in the NFC compared to the Colts being one win behind in the AFC, that that's bigger than just one win in my mind. 
right? Like, yeah. it's a gauntlet in the AFC. It, Good luck trying to sneak in even as a wild card team. Not even just taking into account the Colts' schedule and the opportunities there. It's the teams you would have to leapfrog and how they would have to stumble a bit for it to happen. Yeah, The AFC North is represented in its entire division in the playoffs right now. Cleveland and Cincinnati are both 5-3. and three. This will be a conversation either for later in the week or maybe next segment. But if you look at the Colts' schedule and you are the ultimate idealist of what they could do the rest of the season, and maybe this isn't ultimate idealist, but I think this is a fair assessment, if they only lose to Cincinnati or if they get worked by Stroud, let's just say, in the home finale, so they lose two games, it's 10-7. and seven. Is that good enough to get a wild card spot? I, I'm not sure that it is. Yeah, I don't know that it is either. Not in the AFC anyway. I, I don't. I don't know. You're going to need an implosion from either Cleveland or Pittsburgh, which I guess could be possible. And yes, there's still going to be some cannibalization of the AFC North with some of those matchups that still remain. But I, I don't know that ten and seven gets you there. You're going to have to really pick up some ground and do some things that I don't know if there's a lot of people that think the Colts are capable of that yeah. would include be beating Cincinnati. That's the part where the the party turns into, all right, you guys got to get out of here. <laughs> you don't have to go home, but get out. Can't stay right? here. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. hey, Colts win. All right, nice. And then we start mentioning the P word, you know? <laughs> I forget what team. Do you remember? I think it was Baltimore. I think it was Brian Billick. Uh, back in the day, it was the P word. You couldn't mention playoffs <laughs> until the team clinched an actual playoff berth. And uh, now that the P word has been talked about here with the Colts, and it's like you view them from a different vantage point where I think, yeah, yeah you got to be better <laughs> in the AFC to make it to the playoffs, yeah. you know? And that's not to crush them, but I look, I think they're doing a bit better than I expected them to do. Uh, certainly on their backup quarterback, you know? And they're hanging with some of the big boys. The Browns might very well sneak into the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, by the way, real fast, I'll get to a question on the other side about uh, a full division running the table. And also, I've located the Belichick audio. We have that to look forward to. And a tweet about Gardner Minshew that I think is just absolutely awesome. We will share that with you around the corner as well. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Query and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. For Jake, he's Jimmy Cook, who misled me gambling-wise. Uh, I, I On the fan. <laughs> nice. Good. It's good. I misled you on the fan. That's an important distinction. You always, you always love when, uh, you know, bitter gambling guy. I, you know, I don't want to be this guy because my friends will do this to me sometimes. They'll be like, uh, hey, I, who should I start in fantasy football? <laughs> and I'm like, first off, I think you should uh, grow a pair and make a decision on your own. <laughs> you know, it's like, you're not six anymore, okay? Just make a choice on your own. Uh, so I don't want to be the guy that's, uh, and if I'm wrong, 
If I give advice, they're just like, hey, so uh, uh, good thing I didn't follow your advice and I started this guy instead of that guy. And it's like, you're the worst. All right. You're the worst. I, I don't hope care. You lose your season. Yeah. I don't care if it's successful or if it's deemed a failure. If you ask for advice. Yeah. The other party's not at fault. You are going to them in a time of need, looking for help, looking for guidance. You don't need to pat me on the back if it works out. But also, I don't have time for you to tear me down when it's like, hey, man, <laughs> wasn't even my bet. Wasn't even my team. I'm just trying to assist, weigh in a little bit there. You have more data to look at now. And if you ultimately decide to follow my advice or not, awesome. But I don't yeah. want to hear about it in a negative or overly positive way, regardless of how it goes. You're anti-positive I mean, feedback. like, I'll take it, but it's like, I don't, I don't need it. It's like, hey, okay. man, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, the, the reason I like to be both sides is it feels hypocritical to say, hey, only talk about me when I get you those W's. Like, no, I, I don't want to hear about it regardless. Like, it's, I don't care. I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out. Glad you made some money. Yeah. Um, can you help me with my bets? <laughs> right. That's right, man. Hey, fair enough. <laughs> um, I will detail some of this stuff uh, later, but it's all about the Colts right now. Colts, 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 Colts. Saw a tweet here from Sharon. This is great. Is there any chance Minshew had the flu or something? He just looked physically ill. <laughs> um, I guess it's possible. I think he was healthy. I think he was fine. He just played badly. Like That's the thing, Jimmy, is... It's never a good sign when after a game you could think, hey, does he have the flu? Is that why? <laughs> he, he was just off. He had, a, he had a rotten game. Yeah, I mean, there's no... Look, I'm not on the beat, so who is to say? Maybe it comes out later today with the injury report. Oh, yeah, by Can the way. Can you imagine? Uh, Minshew was battling some stuff. Minshew and the Colts offensive <laughs> line couldn't was, run block. He was dealing with, a, dealing with a massive head cold. His vision was like 70%, but we just set him out there. Like, that would he was be seeing some, ghosts. Exactly. That would be some wild stuff. No, it just it's, it's not fully his fault because there are still some question marks on this Colts offense, but you should know at this point what you're getting out of Gardner Minshew, which is a mixed bag. Yeah. Now, thankfully, and Mike Chappell mentioned this a little bit earlier, you can get that conversation a little later today. Just search Query and Company wherever you get your podcast. But Mike Chappell mentioned this a little bit earlier, which is that they didn't turn the ball over. And I know that's a low bar. Like, you want to have higher expectations for your offense, but they won the turnover battle. Yes, the pick six has helped, but the fact that they weren't giving incredibly dangerous field position because of self-inflicted wounds is an improvement over the yeah. last three games. That's not to say that just because they did it against Carolina that the problem's fixed, but the bar was pretty low going into the game against the Panthers, and at least in that area, they came out on top. But in regards to Minshew, that's pretty much what you're going to get week to week. Isn't that weird, too, where it's great to not turn the ball over, but it's not great to throw for 127 yards, you know? <laughs> so that's the thing. That's the, well, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a buck 27 and no turnovers? Or would you rather have 300 plus and a turnover fest against the Browns, right? Minshew going into the game yesterday had nine turnovers in four games. That's way too many, yeah. but... And a lot of those games, Jimmy, he's putting up numbers, though. Touchdown throws, yardage he's thrown for. So that's the question. That's fine for yesterday when you're winning with defense. No worries at all. But when you've got to have more offense, that's where Minshew says, okay, I'll give you more <laughs> offense, but 
There might be some takeaways also, or there might be some turnovers along the way as well. I can deal with the interceptions. I can. Like, some of them are still just, what is he looking at? Where is he throwing that ball? Like, I can tolerate that a bit because it comes with the gunslinger mentality and like, okay, the offense is going to be moving, but for every, I don't know, 13 of these completions, there might be a pick. Like, I can stomach that. It is over that stretch of the nine turnovers in three games of the strip sacks. And the reason that bugs me more than anything, and I get it, like I'm not out there, Mm -hmm. but you can look at the body of work. Sacks happen every single game across the NFL. That feels like, not always, but more often than not, a controllable. Where if you feel the pressure, I'm not saying like going to the fetal position, but secure the football. Like If you're going to take a sack, great. Don't let it be compounded into a strip sack fumble that gives up big field position. So that, I know that doesn't fully answer the statement, but that's what I want to see from him. I want him to take chances. I want them to open up the offense for him. I just would rather, if given the choice, picks versus strip sacks. That, that's kind of yeah. where I'm at with his growth or areas to improve the rest of the year. Well, the thing I would say that's similar but slightly different is we act like interceptions are way worse than than fumbles. Right. Right. If you just look up your stat page of choice, you'll see columns for touchdowns, interceptions, passer rating. You don't see fumbles. <laughs> it's not one of the major ones over there, right? But think about it just from a field position standpoint, Jimmy, is if you fumble the ball, if you're a quarterback in the pocket – chances are when the team recovers it, if they don't advance it, they're still going to be in better field position than if they pick off a pass, right? Like you could throw the ball 20, 30 yards downfield. Even if you throw it 15 yards downfield, that that, that defensive player has to run yeah. 15 yards at least like to get to the same field position where fumble is. And so like we just sort of like, I fumbled. You got to have ball security, but it's more of a shoulder shrug than he had two interceptions back in yeah. week seven. You know what I mean? Like fumbles are incredibly costly and we don't view it the way we should compared to interceptions. I think it often gets, and you mentioned this earlier, lost in the shuffle because it feels like with interceptions, they are quantifiable in terms of how they happen and like, oh, it's just a bad read or oh, it's an overthrow. Mm-hmm. And fumbles get lost sometimes because oh, well, it's the O-line. Like, they give up the pressure there. Like, Mm -hmm. that's maybe not on the quarterback. They can be just as impactful in a negative light for your team, especially if you are near or in your own territory or near midfield. Like, if you're in the red zone or you're in opponent's territory, it's a little bit more palatable. But when it's happening, when you're trying to get a drive going and all of a sudden the field position game flips, it's an undervalued criticism that... You're right. Gets overshadowed because what do we care about with quarterbacks? We care about their ability to pass the football. We care Mm -hmm. about their ability to sling it, to get big-time gains and chunk plays, and the picks get the criticism because that's their primary job. But yeah, fumbles should be... Make fumbles matter, Brian. That's the campaign (laughs) message today. Make them a part of the conversation. Think about Daniel Jones with the Giants. He was a fumbling machine Mm -hmm. for years at the beginning of his career. And he's gotten better as of late. It's really sad that he tore his ACL yesterday after coming back from injury. But the point is, way too many fumbles and really costly for years for the Giants. And it's like... We're just going by, I don't know how many times, I just rattled off C.J. Stroud's 14 touchdown passes, one interception. I have no idea how many fumbles he's lost. 
right? I don't see any columns. I don't see anything. With, uh, right? It matters. Ball security is a huge, huge thing. And I like what you say. Sometimes we look at uh, the left tackle just got beat. He got blindsided. It's borderline not even his fault. <laughs> it just feels like we put almost all quarterback fumbles in that same category, and it's just wrong. How many times are interceptions deflected or the wide receiver screwed it up, didn't catch it, ran the wrong route? There are plenty of ways where interceptions are misleading, but it's like we don't we don't dismiss that as quickly as we do fumbles. So I don't know. The, the point is with Gardner Minshew, the ball security has got to be better and not throwing it to the other team has got to be better because those turnovers are killers. Uh, but that's what I find to be interesting. Jimmy, you compare that to yesterday's game. He can be ultra careful. He, he's a smart guy. He can be like, hey, our defense, Kenny Moore's doing his thing. Panthers aren't doing much. I'm not going to do anything to really screw this up royally. And he didn't. And that was a smart approach, but when they need more offense, it's a mixed bag. He'll give you some good, he'll give you some bad. And at this stage where the Colts at, him being the backup quarterback, him being the only answer that they have in terms of that position, and rightfully so, he's one of the better backups, if not one of the more valuable backups in the National Football League right now. I want him to be turned loose at times. Again, not 50 attempts a game, but there's going to be times this season if playoffs... Yes, that's right. I'll say it out there. The if P word. That, the P word. If that's a real conversation <laughs> to be had about this team, you're going to need him. You're going to need him, both the good and the bad. But the area that he can control to some extent, yes, he can control the picks too. But if you're going to have the interceptions, you can't also have a strip sap fumble or a careless possession with it on top of it. Like it's got to be one or the other. If it's both, you're playing with two hands tied behind your back offensively for what they're going to need the rest of the season. Man, are we going to have to bring back the ever-famous, you know, this? Uh, Playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) At what point does that door open up? Four and five right now, I feel like it can't be a mainstay. But above 500, two games over 500, going into the Cincinnati game, they still haven't lost, like is – is that when it becomes real? Because I was talking with Eddie about it during the break, and Eddie pushed back. He said, I think 10 wins they get in. And I was like, I don't know. And oh, then I wow. ran through one of the playoff simulators. That's right. That's where we've reached it on a victory Monday because wow. they took care of Carolina. Uh-huh. 73% chance to make the playoffs if they win, if they end up 10 and 7. 73%? That's 73% if chance 10 if they're 10 and 7. That would be a loss to the Bengals, and then pick your poison. Anything else, you really need other teams to help you out if you lose three of your next, whatever, seven, eight games. Man, now that we're down this road, we are really <laughs> down it. I'm looking at uh, potential tiebreakers, so it doesn't matter with the Panthers. Um, might not matter with the Titans, based on where they are. Texans, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be battling for a wild card spot with someone in their division. I guess it's possible, but at the Ravens, Maybe. You know, if the Ravens are vying for a playoff spot, Ravens are just a better team than the Colts. That's what I keep coming back to is, yeah, the Colts have a head-to-head win. Great. But they're four and five, and the Ravens are seven and two. And the Ravens are better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think it's going to matter. In interest of your tie breaks, I had them, went back and forth with this, I had them losing two games in the simulator, one to the Bengals, which I think that's, I mean, any given Sunday, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then... At Not, home against the Steelers. Yeah, I don't see them going to Paycor. I don't either. That's where Burrow is at his best. I mean, okay. Yeah. They, but 
they're a great team. Like that, like on on paper, we talk about matchups the Colts should hang around in. That's not one of them for me. But the seventy three percent in this particular scenario, Brian has them losing to the Steelers as well, and it still gives them a strong chance. You're looking at maybe tiebreakers there. The Steelers are a team where Eddie and I talked about this again. AFC North's going to cannibalize itself a bit. Mm-hmm. This is still a scenario where they could afford to drop that game if they win the other six. They'll be fine, or they'll at least have a have a potential dance ticket there. So a couple of things. Remind me about the AFC North from top to bottom, but mentioning Paycor, what was the Bengals stadium known as before? Paul Brown. Paul Brown Stadium. There you go, uh, Eddie. Very well done. Because I don't think Paycor and like, oh, the yeah, the Bengals. <laughs> you, <laughs> you don't? I mean? Like, you, mean, you mean the stadium name of, I think, two yeah. years? It hasn't fully no, added it to your lexicon? No, it hasn't sunk in quite yet. I still think of Heinz Field. I don't know what stupid company bought yeah, the rights. I don't remember anymore. That, that's all I think. I only think of the Carrier Dome with sure. Syracuse. Sure. It's something else. It's like, it's initials. It's like, uh, I forget. Like, it's not TMI, but let's just call it TMI right. Stadium or whatever. It's... It's like, what, why would you do that? You mean to tell me... <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking? You mean to tell me that Paycor doesn't carry the same quality as Jerry's World? You mean that's not like no, it's, not, it's not just instantly not, in not your brain? Not quite there. Not there not yet? There. Okay. Right. Not yet, but it's getting there. Um, I won a bet a couple of years ago. I Actually, I think it was last year. One of my crazy friends, he was like, hey, man, uh, I bet somebody else this. And he said I was out of my mind. And I don't think I am. But here's the bet that we have. I will give you, uh, I think it was $25 if this happens. If what I say happens, you have to pay me three times as much. You pay me $75. And I'm like, okay, well, what's this bet? And he's like, I think every team from the AFC West will make the playoffs. And I'm like, you're out of your freaking <laughs> mind. There is no way. If you want to just give me $25, be my guest. But you look at the AFC North right now. They're good teams top to bottom. There's no way all these teams are getting into the playoffs. I don't think it'll ever happen, Jimmy. Even though that we've got seven teams in each conference, I don't think we're going to see a division get all four of their teams into the playoffs. I, I mean, don't the, see it at all. The, I could be misremembering here, but I'm pretty sure the Chiefs and the Chargers and the Raiders and the... Well, not the Broncos. No, you're right. Because they were supposed to be good that year and then they weren't. I, I don't know if we'll ever see it, but Brian, I have travel down the Colts playoff rabbit hole. I've not hopped into the AFC North rabbit hole just yet. So maybe tomorrow or maybe during the, the gap between our shows today and tomorrow, I'll look and see if it's possible for them to send all four. But I mean, it's possible, but your margin for error is so small. So take any team. Let's take the Colts. So you have six divisional games. You yep. have 11 non-divisional games. So let's just say everybody goes... I don't know if you want to play this game. Um, let's say the top two teams, they go, I don't know, uh, four and two. The bottom two teams, they go two and four. Okay? Yeah. Like, you got a lot of ground to make up. You're two and four in your division. You've got 11 more games. We are just talking about getting to 10 wins. Right? You got to go eight and three in your non-divisional games. Yeah. If you have a, a two and four divisional record, good luck. Here's my question for you then, though. And I'll answer it too. Jets, Bills, Mm -hmm. Texans, Colts, Raiders, Chargers. Of those six, who is most likely to leap over one of these AFC North teams? Okay, so you're talking about... 
teams that are on the bubble, because right okay. now, five, six, and seven seed in the AFC playoff picture uh-huh. is the Steelers second in the AFC North, five and three. Browns third in AFC North, five and three. Bengals fourth AFC North, five and three. We'll not get in the semantics of it because I'm kind of with Eddie. Like they'll probably <laughs> rise. It won't be the Bengals that are on the outside looking in, but very well could be the Browns or the Steelers. Of the teams on the bubble, Jets, Bills, Texans, Colts, Raiders, Chargers, who is most likely to leapfrog them? Because that's another part of the equation. Who do you think can get that last dance card? Okay, so Jets, Bills, Texans, Colts, Chargers. Right, and I'll put the Raiders in there as well. They're technically They're... ahead of the Chargers, but they've played two more games than they have. So, but um, I don't think the Raiders yeah. are legit. The Chargers, I guess, could not be. With the, right? Not with Aiden O'Connell. Did you see him dicing up the, the Giants? He actually played I, pretty I, well. I, I tipped the cap to the Boilermaker. He did play pretty well. How, did you see Chris Collinsworth at the end of the Sunday night game? I did not. They were promoting their Sunday night game next week. It's the Jets and Raiders. And Collinsworth, I should have grabbed the audio. I could do it for tomorrow. He's like... In his Collinsworth way. I love Chris, by the way. He's like, uh, you know, this, 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 this kid, this kid over here. I mean, he. <laughs> there have been some comments about this kid. And we shouldn't be surprised. It's something along those lines about Aiden O'Connell, former Purdue quarterback, now the Raiders quarterback. But I'll answer the question. Okay, uh, Chargers, Texans, Jets, Bills. That's the list? And, and the Colts, yeah. And the Colts. Yeah. We'll throw the Colts to the side. They're not going to happen. This is not good enough. I'm sorry. Do you agree with me, Jimmy? I mean, yeah, I don't think they're making the playoffs this year, but the schedule is still like it. It's favorable. They they could. You go matchup by matchup. Would it surprise me if they only lost two games the rest of the way? Yes, but they're not that much worse off than the teams I think they could beat. So I won't take them fully off the table. My answer is Buffalo, right? That's the easy answer. I, th- I think even with the loss with Cincinnati, Buffalo is going to have opportunities to make up ground. And Eddie's right. The North is going to cannibalize itself. I think it's most likely if only one AFC North of the four misses out, Buffalo is the team to leap from them. I think that's the most comfortable team I would agree. to pick. Yeah. And, and you might be right. It might end up being the right team I'm not to on pick. a ledge. I'm not on a ledge with that pick. I understand. Like it, It's yeah. probably the most easy, reasonable answer of that set. And it might be correct. But, man, you look at... Okay, look at it this way. The Bills, they have to deal with the Dolphins again. They got to deal with the Jets, who they lost to on the road, right? The Patriots, that's probably favorable. (laughs) They normally (laughs) smack the Patriots around, already did it on the road. Um, But if you look at the Chargers, well, okay, you got the Chiefs again, right? You get them in L.A. So they'll play Philly. But you got the Raiders, you got the Broncos. That's favorable from a Chargers point of view, right? Yeah. So I I don't know. I just look at the Colts. Let's keep it simple. The Colts have a lot of coin flip games. They're either like marginally better or marginally worse than a handful of these teams. I don't think they're leaps and bounds better than the Patriots. I don't, I don't think they're leaps and bounds better than the the than Tampa. I think they're very similar. Titans, Falcons, Raiders, Texans, like right? I, I Atlanta's the only one. Very similar. Atlanta's the only one, and and maybe this changes in the next couple of weeks. Atlanta's the only one where I look at it and I say, Yeah, I think they're a better team than them. The rest ah, of the way, it's and, and, and even that's probably not a clear cut answer, but that's how coin flippy the rest of the way is for them. Is that even maybe going out on a ledge and saying, Yeah, they're better than the Falcons. I want to say they're better than the Raiders, but who knows? I mean, after what they put up 
yesterday. Maybe not. Maybe it really was Josh McDaniel. It probably was. Uh, so we'll see. <laughs> but it's coin flip city for them. Yeah. And do I think if you put true serum in me, do I think they make the playoffs? No. But the schedule is built this uh, way in the NFL to where maybe they could. N- no. No. <laughs> what What are the... They have betting odds on this. What... What are the betting odds that the Colts make the playoffs? Like five to one, four Probably. to one, somewhere Probably. in that area. Okay, so tell me this then, and and we'll save the audio because I've I really went on a limb and say the Bills. And you can join me on that ledge. It's a very comfy place. We got mm-hmm. it's not even a ledge; it's more of a balcony. All right, we got Sunday ticket out there. We're just chilling. It's it's a great time. But you've taken out the Colts, and the Bills is probably the easy answer. Who from that set list do you think does it then, or does the North get all those teams in? No, the North does not get right. all those teams. I don't think any division's getting all their teams in the playoffs. Right. Um, so, yeah, it becomes, can C.J. Stroud keep the heater going? You know? Sure. Um, I like the Texans' chances more than the Colts. I mean, if you just start with quarterback, C.J. Stroud is playing at a much higher level than Gardner Minshew yeah. is. Yeah, that's not right. a conversation. Yeah, Right, yeah. And then you look at uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I know they invent ways to lose. They might invent a way to lose tonight. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Nor would I. Yeah, but they're more talented, and more times than not, talent ends up winning out. We're not talking about the Chargers getting to the Super Bowl. We're talking about them getting the seventh playoff spot if and it's then down to them in the Colts. After having a big first half well, lead. Well, yeah, yeah right? being up 27 to nothing. So, and <laughs> so you are coming on the balcony with me in Buffalo, or you are hitching your wagon elsewhere with those potential bubble teams? Um, it's not to avoid your question. I don't... I mean, it's still early in the season, right? Like, it, it we're, we're still, even though nine weeks in, like, there's still a lot of football left, and it's a crowded on the bubble, as they listed on NFL.com. It's a very crowded bubble for that last playoff spot. My initial out on a limb prediction was Bills missed the playoffs. And I remember that when we had yeah. our exercise, you mentioned that. Yeah. I don't love that out on the limb prediction because they're so talented and Josh Allen is so good. They got a lot of injuries, major injuries. Matt Milano, linebacker, Tredavious White, stud cornerback. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a tough division. It's a tough conference. Could it happen? Absolutely. Um, so, it, like, they're one of those teams where I could. I think your odds are better saying, "Give me the bunch." Instead of Buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> if it's Buffalo or the bunch you mentioned, I'd take the bunch. But if it's just one individual team, it's hard to pick a team yeah. that you feel the odds are more in your favor than Buffalo. I, I get that. I will say this, though, in regards to it being a non-starter for the Colts potentially getting in. You look at that bunch, and again, we're assuming one of the North teams, because four of them, in case you're just joining us or haven't looked at the playoff picture, four of Four in the AFC North are playoff teams if it ended today. If one of them is falling out of favor and it's not Buffalo, I think the only other team of the bunch, and it's just because of the quarterback, that I feel like I would go out on a limb for, and it could change tonight, is the Chargers. The Texans could be a pick, too, because of how well Stroud has played, but the rest of that bunch, I don't feel confident rooting for any of them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there are flaws in every one of those teams. For Buffalo, like... There's some injuries, and Allen still has been like, – he's still great. He's still awesome. He's been inconsistent a time or two, but you don't point to Josh Allen as the reason they're struggling. Buffalo is probably the safest answer, but if it's not Buffalo and your out-on-a-limb prediction is right for them, I'd have a hard time picking any of those teams confidently to leapfrog the North. Yeah. I really would. Well, I, I'm with you. 
And that's the thing Zach about the Wilson, playoffs. C.J. Stroud, Gardner Minshew, well, A.J. Hey, O'Connell, Justin there, Herbert. There are a lot of teams we could go season after season after season. There are plenty of playoff teams that at this stage of the season, they're not even on your radar. Right. And they get there. An injury, luck, or misfortune matters a ton so, yeah, we always look at this stuff based on paper. Who's to say that the Bills don't have a couple other huge injuries? Yeah. Not hoping for it. I'm just saying it's football. <laughs> Tackle football. Guys go down. All right, we got a lot to do here, Jimmy. We don't have a lot of time to do it. We'll go rapid fire style. I'll get you the uh, Belichick audio. And also, man, it's not buyer's remorse. It's what could have been um, dismay. Let's call it that. I'll tell you what that's all about coming up. I'm Brian No in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No in for Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jake, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Lots to do here. We'll go rapid fire. First thing I thought with the new Bag Boys ad for Wendy's, it got me thinking of the original show, was Bad Boys... An actual song, or was it a theme song written for the TV show? You think it's the latter, right, Jimmy? Well, so this is an area of ignorance where I'm showing my vulnerability here. <laughs> I, I only know about Bad Boys, like the, like the movie, like with Will Smith. No, well, I, I don't know. I don't know Bad TV Boys, the TV show. show. I'm 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 lost there. The TV show with it was called Cops. You know? Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, hey, I'm familiar with cops. Yes, I know they use that song for. For some reason, my brain went to oh, there was a show called Bad Boys. I'm very confused. No, yeah, I would. I don't know, Brian. I, I told you during the break that yeah. I felt like yeah, it was probably made for the for cops, but I have no idea. I, it might be an actual song. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to dig on that one. Not quite sure, but I'm curious. It's how my mind works, Jimmy. Curious mind over here. <laughs> like, how much money would I have had if Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison were not in my life? <laughs> You know, that question came to mind this week. Does Don Fisher enjoy fish? I mean, it's, 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 it's all kinds of different things. Appear. I can't help it. The intro's like, fish. I'm like, does he get down with catfish? I don't know. I need to find out. Okay, so this was the audio I was telling you about. Colts are taking on the Patriots in Germany this Sunday. And so it just had a flashback to when the Colts had a terrible record years ago. Belichick was asked a question about facing a team with a bad record, right? The Patriots right now are 2-7. and seven. But if you go back in the hot tub time machine, what Belichick had to say leading up to a game against the Colts when the Colts had an awful record, this was the audio I was getting to. Now, you're not going to confuse Belichick with someone who's uh, like cuddly, gentle with the media. And so he's uh, peak... Belichick crass <laughs> when it comes to this. Check it out. Obviously, you can gauge your team's performance better against a team that's 
more competitive or has a better record, and you certainly see more product. Yeah, I don't agree with that. So, you know, just go ahead on your soliloquy, but I just don't agree with that. You don't think you can gauge a team based on how a player blocks Dwight Freeney and, and Robert Mathis? I mean, who, who else would you gauge it against? I mean, what, are you kidding me? Recovering Reggie Wayne and Collie and Garcon, you don't think you can gauge your coverage based on those players? I don't care what their record is. Like, you don't think there's better receivers around than them, better pass rushers than Freeney and, and Mathis? I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure what games we're watching here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, at least he let her down gently. That's nice. Oh, That's yeah, great. yeah. Like, it was I, like, kind of just like you suck at your job and why are you even here? Goodness. Yeah. But he's right. We didn't deliver it in the most uh, like heartfelt. Yeah, uh, Reasonable minds can disagree. But here's my philosophy, right? Like he's just Belichick, man. He doesn't have time for that cuddly stuff. He's just going to tell you what he thinks and lay it out. There. I have a mission for you. Uh-huh. And it's an impossible mission. I realize. Okay. And no, you're not working was with Tom Was Mission Cruise. Impossible an original <laughs> song or was it written? I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> for the next 12 hours or 24 hours for the show, I want to see the piece that was done if it was a written work piece with that quote. Because oftentimes reporters are asking questions because not just they want to inform the public, but they're, they're building their story and their game story. And there's a specific reason to ask that question. Now, if it was a news hit, then okay, that, that's a lost cause and probably never find the answer. But how was it utilized in the piece after Bill Belichick laid the smackdown mm. with that answer? Like, what, what, did the angle of the story change? Is it like, okay, I'm not going to use that at all. Like that, <laughs> that, that fascinates me. Probably will never find the answer to that question, but I'm, I'm curious. I really am. I would imagine it was a um, it was an exit stage left in terms of <laughs> whatever you were going for there. Because listen, man, and we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes plenty where I'm asking a coach something and they say something where I'm like, I never really thought of it like yeah. that. You know, so it happens. It's you followed not, mine and Eddie's advice. I mean, that's also oh, a mistake you made. I mean, it's it's man. it happens, right? The, the one time I needed your gold standard advice, you gave me the, you know, the bare bones back alley advice. We'll detail it tomorrow. We don't have time today. But the point remains, what Belichick is saying is true. And I would just say this, for the Colts to face the Patriots, I wouldn't be looking at their record. I'd be looking at, hey, what's the game plan? What are they going to try to take away? All of those type of things. The question, though, remains this. Who's the Patriots' best player? Who are their impact players right now, Jimmy? When you ask yourself that question, it's like, uh, well, uh, Christian Gonzalez was off to a good start as a rookie, but Hunter he's Henry's on IR. still in the league. That's 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 something. Ramondre Steve, I, I I don't know. I mean, yeah. they signed Zeke Elliott in the offseason. Yeah, <laughs> Matthew Judon is good. He's on IR also. Like when Juju start- Smith-Schuster, Super Bowl champion. Yeah. Juju Smith-Schuster out there. And went the- Butterfingers and <laughs> dropped an easy catch, led to a game-ending interception yesterday. But yeah, it's they don't have many impact players. No, they don't. And it is a look, let's be clear, especially on these airways. I don't feel bad for the Patriots. Brian doesn't either. I got I don't feel bad for them with what they're going through by any stretch of the imagination. But you can use that smackdown that Bill Belichick laid a number of years ago to today. It's kind of a cliched answer, but with real like substance behind it because he name dropped many a time during that rant. Yeah. But it's the any given Sunday principle of the NFL, right? There's good players 
at this stage to be able to get here and be on a professional football field. And even if it might look like a one-sided matchup, there are things that you will only get week to week in the league from a matchup standpoint of perhaps it is a top-level pass rush or maybe it's a shutdown corner and it's how did your team do in those situations and how does it make you a better group moving forward as you get closer and closer to the playoffs and there's still that in New England admittedly though like definitely not the list of Hall of Fame names that Bill Belichick was able to say about the Colts in this particular iteration of the Patriots that's where I would take it in a little bit of a different direction and bring it back to one of the other conversations we had about the Colts making the uh, the P word, you know? Yep. The playoffs. Exactly. <laughs> right. We're talking about playoffs. Yeah. There's exactly. a reason why we say any given Sunday and we don't say any given season, right? Mm-hmm. Like any given Sunday, any team can play well. Someone might shock you. The Colts the, beat the Ravens this year. They like, beat the Ravens. The <laughs> Cardinals beat Dallas. They beat the Cowboys. The Broncos beat the Chiefs last week. Like it, they're any given Sunday. Yes, absolutely. Yep. But any given season, <laughs> you don't see often these. You've seen it from time to time. The greatest show on turf. The Rams, they won like four games the season prior. Their starting quarterback, Trent Green, goes down. Their odds of winning the Super Bowl are in the toilet. And this guy named Kurt Warner comes from nowhere, and boom, (laughs) they win it all. Like, crazy things do happen in a season. You can't rely on that to be successful. Right, like way less often than crazy things from week to week. That's why the Colts making the playoffs, even though it's a favorable schedule, it's, it's still a lot to ask. It really is because it's not just one good game here or one great performance there. It's you got to sustain that for two months. That's a lot. That's a long way to go. Um, how about this, real fast, Jimmy? We got your picks around the corner. And um, I was just thinking about we were talking about Bryce Young going first overall and stinking it up against the Colts yesterday. C.J. Stroud going second overall and crushing it for the Texans. Five touchdown passes yesterday. Buyer's remorse. Got to be in Carolina right now. At least significant doubts. I don't care what anybody says. They're got to be thinking this if they're not saying it. It's un- com- Go ahead. It's unfortunate, too, because I, I do like Frank Reich, but the only reason, maybe not the only reason, but the only real reason for chatter for a coach in his first year in a new spot to like, oh, should they part ways? Like, is it time to move on? Is because he was involved in the selection of Bryce Young. Like, he was absolutely involved in that process, and early returns get the chatter a little bit louder in that regard, magnified by the fact that they don't have a first-round pick this year. Well, and that's the thing, too, is if you think about the Pacers, let's talk a little hoops over here real fast. Their opponent tonight, the Spurs, Wembenyama. Huh? Who I call the French freak. <laughs> well, we got the Greek freak and the French freak, right? <laughs> Come on. But it, it's not buyer's remorse because there's a lottery. It's not like the right. Pistons passed them up at number one and drafted somebody else. The ping pong balls just didn't go their way. But think about that. Detroit had a worse record than the Spurs. The, the Rockets had the same record as the Spurs. Think if you're them. And you're watching Wemby do what he's doing so far, where you're like, what, where would we be, not just now, but over the next decade and a half, if the ping pong balls just fell our way? Like, 
I think it's way worse for what the Panthers did where you have some control, you make this major trade, you make this major move, and you probably drafted the wrong guy. The Panthers made so many little mini mistakes there, right? They drafted the wrong guy potentially, but they also made the decision to trade up and then still took the wrong guy and also gave up a future pick to do it. There's so much more ramifications with that than just losing the lottery. Yeah, that's what's in your control compared to what's out of your control. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Those are worlds apart. Okay, your uh, your picks around the corner. I will keep my opinions to myself. <laughs> Brian, no in for Jake. He's Jimmy Cook. It's Query and Company here on ninety three five and one zero seven five. The Fan. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right, I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Final segment on Querying Company. Jimmy Cook here with Brian No and Eddie Garrison. A little mix of the NBA and Monday Night Football. We'll start with Monday Night Football. Chargers win it tonight over the Jets. We'll take them on the money line. Austin Eckler also going to find the end zone. Big game at Gambridge Fieldhouse tonight. Rookie sensation Victor Wembanyama against your Indiana Pacers. Wemby will go over 20 and a half tonight, but Tyrese Halliburton, that's in points. Tyrese Halliburton goes over 35, 34 and a half points plus assists. Buddy Heald will hit at least three from beyond the arc. Those are my plays of the day. Okay. What was it for Halliburton, the total there? 34 and a half. 34 and a half. Over yep. points plus assists. Points and assists. Yep. Okay. You know, um, if my parlays were still alive and they are really dead, more on that tomorrow. (laughs) I was uh, on Garrett Wilson, Jets receiver, over 66 and a half receiving yards. I was on Justin Herbert over eight and a half rushing yards. It's up to ten and a half. You with me on either of those? I think Crazy Legs Herbert shows up to get at least 11 rushing yards. I'm with you on Herbert. Yeah, I am too. I like it. We'll reconvene tomorrow. Keep it locked right here on The Fan. JMV up next.